Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Anne-Laure Lecomfe, who is a neuroscientist, writer, and entrepreneur. She founded Nest Labs, a learning community for knowledge workers. Her weekly newsletter, where she writes about mental health, workplace well-being, and lifelong learning, has more than 80,000 subscribers. Her work has been featured in Wired, Rolling Stone, The Financial Times, Forbes, Inc., and more. And she recently signed a book deal with Penguin Books in the U.S. and Profile Books in the U.K. to write about these topics. And we had quite the wide-ranging conversation on a lot of things around, you know, why people don't get started, anxiety and stress, growth loops, uh, the act of writing and reflecting, and a whole bunch more. So I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Anne Lore. And without further ado, please welcome in Anne Lore LeCompte. Anne Lore, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I, there's when I was I was preparing for this, I'm like, God, there's like ten different levers I can pull to start the conversation. But I thought we'd just start here, very basic. Why don't people start? What are what are the you obviously talk with people that are doing things that are excited about you know the projects they're building, but then there's a lot of people that have a fear, have anxiety, they don't start. So can we start there, folks listening in that maybe are stubbing their toe and not getting started? Why? We've all been brought up in a in a society where we're taught that it's good to know the answers. We, in school, uh, were asked to study, to know stuff by heart, to raise our hand when we know for sure what the answer is. And then as we grow up as adults, that cycle keeps on going where you're hired based on previous experience doing a job. So you have to prove you know how to do a job before getting the new job. And then in meetings, just showing that you're the expert, you know what you're talking about. To get started with something new, you have to step into that very uncomfortable space of not knowing. Mm -hmm. And very often you have to step into that space quite publicly. You have to tell people, hey, actually, you know, I I don't know what I'm doing. This is very new to me. And um, this public display of ignorance can be very, very scary for, for people, which kind of makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because when you think about it we are our societies are designed around everybody contributing something everybody being useful and helpful and so telling people i don't know what i'm doing may not be the smartest move or wasn't in in the past so we resist that and yeah i think this is the biggest source of friction when it comes to getting started do you feel it's tied to our identity? You know, we let's say we go to college, we get a job, let's say we're working there for 10 years, and then we have this random idea that's so different than what we've been doing. That's what I've, I kind of uh, related to. Like, I don't want to tell people that I'm not going to do the thing that I normally am doing, right? Yes. Uh, I call this the self-consistency fallacy. It's this narrative that we build around our our lives that we won't we want it to make sense. Uh, again, when you think about when you write a CV applying to a job, everyone does that. You go back to the stuff you used to do before and you slightly rewrite it right. so it makes sense and it looks like 
in hindsight that that was each step was the next logical chapter coming after the previous one. And when we tell about ourselves and who we are, we also try to make it make sense. When in reality, lives are very, and careers are very squiggly. Mm -hmm. They don't make sense, right? There are opportunities that you don't see coming. You meet people that you didn't expect to connect with that tell you, hey, there's this project that maybe you'd be interested in. And sometimes you learn about a new topic, a new subject that makes you deeply curious that you want to learn more about and work on that has nothing to do with what you used to work on before, but it's calling you. Um, and it's unfortunate that because of this self-consistency fallacy, because we want to stick to things that make sense based on what we used to do before, sometimes we close that door. We just don't go there because we feel like it doesn't align with the identity that we used to have with who we are. So then how do like how do you bridge the gap on that? Is that just doing like a small test to try it out? Is that talking to someone like because at some I mean people have done that. So I'm kind of curious like what are the reasons that they're doing it and others aren't? I think it, it's a little bit of a radical uh, shift in mindset, but it's really about changing your self-perception and instead of clinging to that fixed identity that is completely artificial made up and that is not serving you to embrace instead the identity of more of a, a scientist someone who conducts experiments someone who is exploring and in that case trying new things becomes part of your identity saying no to those new opportunities goes against who you are and by doing this every day, by trying new things, by getting out of your comfort zone, you reinforce that new identity that you are the kind of person who doesn't cling <laughs> to an, a fixed identity. Yeah. So I would first do this, just really embrace the idea that you don't have to, to cling to that one identity, that you can be a scientist of your own life. And then you start running experiments. And as you mentioned in your question, they can be quite small at the beginning. You don't have to start with something really big and scary. Um, if you're interested in public speaking, for example, you can just maybe bring a few friends or colleagues that you're comfortable with uh, together and practice together. You don't have straight away to go and present at a big conference. So just trying to think about what is something you're interested in and what is the smallest version of this, the, the least scary version of this that you can start experimenting with today. And based on that, then you start increasing your comfort levels and going bigger, scarier, and probably also more interesting. Yeah. Well, like, would you agree? Like, I think you find when you do that, you may not like it after a little bit. So instead of in putting all your chips in the middle, it's good to just try it out, right? Yes. Uh, although, I would say that it's a fine balance to to find between trying it uh, for for long enough that you know for sure whether you like it or not. Because at the beginning, the first few repetitions, it's it can happen that you don't like it only because it's difficult, not because it's not for you, but because it's out of your comfort zone. It's not a skill that you have it doesn't feel as natural as things that you've been doing for years so i think it's important to stick with it for long enough that you're sure that it's not just because it's difficult and equally and that's the other side of that finding that balance 
knowing if you really don't like it, don't forcing yourself to stick to it just because that would feel like a failure. There's no failure if you see this as an experiment because the goal is not to succeed. The goal is just to collect some data mm. about whether you enjoy it or not and whether this is a skill that you want to keep on pursuing or the type of project that you want to keep on working on. If you manage to collect enough data to make an informed decision, that's success. Has there been something you've done that's kind of tested your identity and made you kind of go into that unknown? Um, for for me, it was starting a YouTube channel, which was really scary because mm. I'm, you can probably hear from my accent, I'm not a native English speaker. Um, I'm, I'm naturally pretty camera shy, plus doing it in my second language. Yeah. And also at the time, I did have a little bit of that, you know, cringe, cringy feeling about putting myself out there, filming myself, talking to a camera. And that was really, really hard. I sticked with it for six months and then I quit because it was giving me really bad anxiety. Every day that I was supposed to record on YouTube, I would be unable to do any other kind of work because my mind was just thinking about the moment I would have to sit in front of that camera and record that video. Yeah. So I stopped for a while and I just restarted recently and I've completely changed my process. Uh, now I script my videos and I know some people say, oh, it's better if you can improvise. But for me, it's reduced a lot of the anxiety to just write everything in advance. And also I don't edit them myself anymore because I realized that a big part of the anxiety was also coming from this, that it was really hard for me. I'm not a video editor. Mm. That's really not something that I'm good at. And so I outsourced that part. And so by really focusing on the part that I enjoy, which is teaching and removing the friction from the parts that I don't enjoy as much, which is performing on camera and editing the videos. I now have been, I think I'm on my ninth week now of recording nice. every week and the anxiety is mostly gone, which is great. So that's an example. So if I'm hearing right, you, you kind of put rules in place, some boundaries that to stick to, to make sure you stayed on point. Yes. And uh, I created some sort of framework for myself, basically, of how I wanted this to work, uh, which includes a schedule, which includes the format and which when we talk about frameworks, we don't talk about enough, I feel like, but also surrounding yourself with the right people to work with and acknowledging the fact that you probably cannot be the best at everything. You probably have some zone of genius where you're very comfortable and this is where you can contribute the most to, to the, the world. And if you want to try new things, you absolutely should, but it doesn't mean that you have to master every single aspect of that new skill that you're trying to acquire, or that new project you're trying to work on. You can focus on the parts that are enjoyable to you and where you think that you can contribute the most and then collaborate with other people to fill in the gaps. Yeah, it's kind of that mixture of becoming a beginner learner again, but don't take on all the don't the whole mountain of work that has to be done. Try to outsource if you can or maybe even not do it altogether. Exactly. It's uh yeah, I like what you said because it, you have to have that beginner mindset when you start something new, but also it would be silly to ignore all of the knowledge, know-how, and skills that you have acquired before mm -hmm. 
And so if you go and you try to do something new, that's pretty daunting and you have to learn a bunch of new things. But from previous um, projects that you've worked on, maybe you've picked up some project management skills or public speaking skills or communication skills. Well, bring those in and right. and use that for, for the new project. And so in my case, because I've managed a lot of other different types of projects, that's what I did with YouTube. I just realized that, okay, these are my skills. And then putting a team together, having a little schedule, making it a little bit more organized. That was very helpful in reducing the anxiety. What was the time? You said you did it for six months. Now you're nine weeks. Like what was the gap between those two? How long? A year and a half. Okay. So yeah. what ultimately got you back? Or is there something in specific that you decided to get back on YouTube? I felt like I was more equipped in terms of managing such a project after a year and a half of working on other bigger projects. So um, I started working on writing a book in the past year and a half, actually. <laughs> so I hadn't noticed that this, maybe this is linked, but that's like a bigger project that has required me to upskill quite a bit in terms of project management, because it's very, very different writing a series of blog posts and newsletters from writing a book. Mm -hmm. And because I had to acquire all of these new skills and I had to become a lot better at project management at a larger scale, I felt like I could go back to YouTube now and treat it as a pretty big project. A YouTube channel is actually a pretty big project yeah. and that's not how I was treating it before. So I just felt more equipped. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm always curious because obviously you stopped and a lot of people do stop and then never start again. So the fact that you assessed it, I guess, and maybe you had other priorities, which is a, it's probably a good lesson, though, is like you can't do everything. It, it, is it important to prioritize the two or three big things that you want to do? And it's OK to push the others to the side. It's a sunk cost fallacy, right? It's like, oh, I did it for so long. I might as well keep doing it, you know? Yes, uh, we do that to ourselves so much. It's a. Uh... A lot of it, there's the sunk cost fallacy for, for ourselves of feeling like we need to keep going because we've invested so much already. And there's, again, this fear of being judged by other people because our society values people who can stick to the commitments that they've made who or keep going, basically. Mm -hmm. And so just quitting something is seen as a failure when quite often quitting is the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I wanted to ask you, I talked about identity, I guess, a little bit with your background. Um, starting uh, Nest Labs, how was that process? Like, was there some, I don't know, was there some identity shift you have to do? Was there some imposter syndrome? Like, how did you feel, I guess, kind of maybe moving off the highway and going on a side ramp than, than what you were doing before? Nest Labs started as an experiment, actually. So mm. it's very relevant to the conversation we're having today. Um, I wanted to write more. Uh, I wanted to commit um, and create accountability for myself to translate what I was studying at the university when I was doing my master's in neuroscience. And I felt like a newsletter could be a good way to do this, to become accountable. And in order to experiment and see if that's something that I, I would like, 
I committed to writing a hundred articles and then I would mm. decide if I liked okay. it or not. And so I did, I wrote a hundred articles. And when I got to 101, I felt like, oh, I love this. I'm going to keep going. And uh, this is how Nest Lab started really as a little experiment for, for myself. Now, when with those hundred articles were, you were putting those out to the world or those internal for the time being? No, all public, all public. I announced it on, on Twitter. I said, I'm going to write a hundred articles in a hundred weekdays, follow along. And uh, I think part of the growth of Nest Labs at the beginning was the articles themselves, maybe a little bit. Honestly, I've reread quite a few of these since then, and a lot of them were not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, people were very interested in the process as well of writing these articles, researching them. And, um, and even, you know, I just say that these articles were not great, but I saw um noticeable difference between the first few dozen articles and the last few ones so there is really power in practice and repetition and you know how they say that if you don't if you look back at your past work and you're not a little bit ashamed then you haven't progressed so i actually feel quite good about the fact that i'm a little bit ashamed of those first few articles and it was a good test it was long enough that i had enough data to know if that's something i wanted to keep going with and that was four years ago and i'm still sending my newsletter every week wow congrats on that that's awesome and it's funny how things start like that of just you give yourself a little project and then it's like oh, i actually like this and if you never did it you would never you'd be none the wiser i guess but you know what i'm saying it's it's nice to to go through that and and come out on the other end um successful so if someone's in your shoes like a few years ago similar boat they're like i have this idea i want to do something they might, I mean, maybe a hundred's a lot. Like if you know, I tell people, you know, don't just do five podcasts, like do at least 20 or 30 or 50. Like you gotta have some measure of sustainability there. But how would you encourage folks to get started using your example maybe is a good way to to go with it? Yes. Uh I mean, this is also what you you tell people, right? Just pick a number a number. It's um again, I think it's very, very helpful to think about these as mini scientific experiments. Mm -hmm. And when you conduct a scientific experiment, you have to have a certain number of trials before you can draw any conclusions from the data. Because if you just do it once, it could be a fluke, right? So mm -hmm. that's why you do it with enough trials. So depending on what it is that you're trying to do here, you can choose in advance a number of trials that you're going to run. You commit to this, you make a pact with yourself that this is the number of trials that you're going to go through, the number of repetitions. So in my case, it, I already had a, a good intuition that I liked writing already. So I knew I liked writing. The question was more about, would I like writing a newsletter? Would I like publishing articles every week? That was more of the question, hence the pretty intense mm. experiment that I did with the 100 articles. If it's something a bit newer for you, um, an example of a less intense one that I've done, for example, was journaling for two weeks, every day for two weeks. And the reason why it was so short is because before that, I had never managed to stick to it more than two days in a row. So two yeah. weeks was actually pretty ambitious for yeah. me. And it worked and it's been two years now and I'm still journaling every day. Um, so that was enough. Two weeks was enough for me to create that habit. So I guess the more doubts you have about whether you're going to enjoy it or not, 
the smaller you can keep the experiment. Um, because if you've never managed to do it even two or three times in a row, don't go for a hundred straight away, right? Yeah. If it's something where you know you kind of like it already, but you're maybe wondering if you want to make this more of a part of your work or your life, and maybe you want to take it to the next level, you can go for a more ambitious experiment. But what's really important is to commit in advance to a number of repetitions, and then you stick to it. And only after you've collected that data, you analyze it and you draw conclusions and you decide whether you want to keep going as is, or maybe you want to make some little tweaks, but you don't get to the decision part until you're done collecting data, just like in a scientific experiment. What are, so maybe with your writing, that could have been newsletter subscribers or whatever, you know, podcasts, it might be listens or what downloads or something, but like, is there, okay, I don't know if someone's like, I want to start a garden. Is it, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, how do they determine metrics or something they should pull? Is there, is there a certain thing you would encourage them to look at? I'm, I'm just trying to think outside the box than just your normal having data on the internet. I don't know enough about gardening, but I assume, you know, you, there are ways of knowing whether your garden is thriving or not. Like if, if nothing grows, maybe yeah. you, you're not doing great, yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Um, so I don't think you should always try to look for hard metrics and okay. not everything is measurable in this way, but I think most projects have some sort of measure of success that you can look at. And if not, I think that's fine. The a measure of success also can be how much you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. If, even if in your garden, I'm thinking, you know, nothing's growing, but you're super excited every day to go and dig in the dirt and plant those seeds and water them. And that is that feels good and creative and that's good for your mental health. Well, I mean, keep going. Why not? Seriously, why not? And it's the same with writing. It really depends what you want to do with it. Sure, there are the metrics of newsletter subscribers and, and those kind of things. But, you know, for me, um, I know it's going to sound cheesy, but it's true. If I'm really, I never look at my dashboard with my number of subscribers and feel really excited because it grows very slowly. So you, you don't really realize it. Mm -hmm. It's it, sometimes you have someone telling me, oh, you have that number of subscribers. And I'm like, oh, like, you're right, actually, that's a pretty big number, but I, I never really get excited about this. What makes me really excited and happy is when I get someone who replies to my newsletter and says something really nice about what they just read, that they found it really helpful, that it changed the way they see the world or that they work. Or I've had people telling me that their news my newsletter has been helping them with their mental health. One of my favorite stories is this person who reads my newsletter every Sunday with their daughter mm. and who wrote to me and telling me this. That's the kind of stuff that's really getting me excited. And I can't put that in the dashboard. That's not a hard metric. And this is definitely a big part of what is keeping me going, though. Yeah, you make a tremendous point there. And I think it goes back to, you know, what is success for you? You know, defining that early on of like, OK, yeah, success is, hey, I get those letters back or I have notes or whatever. It doesn't have to always be metrics. So, yeah, good point on that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about if which we're kind of on a little bit, but these growth loops, the single versus double can you share just a little bit about that? I thought that was a little fascinating. I hadn't really, I guess I knew it, but I hadn't. And so anyways, I'm kind of curious to learn more. Yes. Um, so if you think about, so a growth loop is basically in, a, in very simple terms, uh, you do something, you learn from it, 
and then you adapt the way you do things so you keep on growing with each repetition and each cycle so instead of automatically like a robot doing the same thing over and over again you you create those feedback loops that that keep on on building on top of each other so so that you keep on growing a, a single loop is for example um let's say that you um you write a newsletter and then someone gives you feedback on that newsletter and so you kind of fix that specific aspect for the next newsletter mm -hmm. Uh, so, for example, someone says, oh, you know, like uh, that title was kind of hard to read. Uh, can you maybe fix the font? And you're like, OK, the, the next newsletter, I'm going to fix the font. Uh, double loop is when instead of going back to just the thing that you're fixing, you're going back a little bit further in the process to your mental models and to the foundation of what you're doing. So, again, taking the example of the newsletter double loop learning here uh, and and having a double growth loop here would be to ask yourself how in general can I think about accessibility for my newsletter what are all of the things that I can adapt and change here and you go back to this and then this is going to percolate across everything that you're doing in all in all of the next loops that you're going through afterwards so it takes longer it's a bigger loop uh, it's not something that you can do for everything but sometimes it's worth asking yourself when you get feedback, whether direct feedback from a user or customer or a colleague, or sometimes just even feedback from what you're doing. You can tell, for example, again, that your vegetables are not growing, your newsletter right. is not growing, your whatever your success metrics, um, it, it's not going well. Sometimes instead of tinkering on, in a single loop, it's worth taking that step back and thinking about what's the bigger loop here? What is something uh, more foundational that I can change that could have a bigger impact on my success? Is it, and I may be off here, but is it kind of like the whole adage of like, you solve the, you're solving the symptom versus solving the problem? Like it's more surface level with a single loop and you know solving the problem is going back deeper would be the double. Yes, uh, it is. It is similar. And um, solving the problem, yes. And also really changing your your way of doing things in general. Uh, and uh, and sometimes your your worldview, even the way you're seeing the entire project can change as a result of taking more of a double growth group approach to problem solving. How how often and we talk about the kind of the scientific approach is getting feedback from other folks and using that versus just being in a vacuum ourselves and, and doing it how we want to do it. I struggle with that because I feel like I want to get people's feedback, but then it's like, well, is that my direction I want to go? You know, I don't know. It's a, I have to imagine other folks are challenged with that as well. I think, uh, you know, they say feedback is a gift. Uh, you don't have to accept every present that people are giving you. That's true. So, yeah, so I, I think it's very important to create an environment around yourself and your projects where people feel comfortable sharing feedback, mm -hmm. uh, having that open door. So for my email, I always tell my newsletter, I always tell people, please hit reply, tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes I ignore some of that feedback because it's just not aligned with the vision that I have for the newsletter. Um, or sometimes I 
agree with the feedback, but that's something I'm aware of. And I know the kind of resources would be necessary to fix that problem. And I know it's not a priority at the moment. Um, so you don't have to action every single piece of feedback that you receive, but I think you still benefit a lot more from knowing what the feedback is and then deciding what you do with it rather than never receiving that feedback in the first place. Do you, um, and, and asking you personally, if you do this with a newsletter or other things, do you proactively try to get feedback? Now you mentioned, Hey, I put it in my newsletter, but sometimes we'll reactively, someone will send us a note, but are there like people you reach out to say, Hey, can you check this? Curious your thoughts. Yes, I uh, I do that sometimes when I'm about to make a bigger change. So uh, I when I redesigned, we have a private community at Nest Lab. So when I redesigned it, I showed a preview to a few very active members to get their feedback, which was really helpful. Um, sometimes I make the change first and then I ask for feedback. So when I redesigned the newsletter, uh, I felt like it was just easier to send one edition with the new design, because it's just easier. I could revert back to whatever I had before if needed. And I just said in that newsletter, hit reply, tell me what you think. And I got so much feedback there, mm. which was great. And that I implemented uh, some of it, the, the one that made sense to me. Um, so I, I do proactively ask for feedback sometimes when it makes sense. And especially when it is something that is going to affect the experience of my community members because ultimately I'm designing that experience for them. So it makes sense for me to proactively ask them how it feels, if they like it, if they enjoy it, if that's what they want or not. Mm. And then going back to what we're talking about, you kind of know based on trial and error, some experimentation, do they like it? And then it's, it's back in that loop again. Yes. And, um, I've, uh, I'm very fortunate that I started learning and experimenting in public like this from the get-go because that's how Nest Lab started, as I mentioned, as an experiment. So the, the readers of my newsletter and the members of my community, they're very used to me tweaking and experimenting very publicly. And uh, I'll change something in the newsletter one week and say, what do you think? And, uh, and you know, we, we just try and make it better every week. So they're not expecting from me uh, to see the polished final version. They're expecting to be part of the process, to almost be co-creators mm. of that reading experience that they have. And I know that even if it's not perfect, the first time I send uh, an early draft or a new version, they're not going to be mad at me or anything. They're going to be happy to contribute feedback, ideas, and suggestions and to make it better together. Mm. You mentioned something earlier I wanted to circle around on about kind of going deeper, right? Instead of just taking the surface level, we go deeper in it. And it kind of reminded me of something you mentioned before about journaling. How often, I, I guess, does the journaling help you think deeper on your business problems? Like, is that something, because I, I, the reason I'm asking, I guess, because it's something for me, I find when I sit and get away from things and I can just think and write just random thoughts, that exposes ideas I never considered from a business side. I'm curious if it's the same with you. Uh, absolutely. I don't necessarily write about the business every day because I 
practice free flow journaling. So whatever comes up that day is what I'm going to be writing about. And sometimes it's more personal stuff, but I've had so many ideas for the business or just finding solutions to problems that I had a hard time solving just through journaling. And sometimes, you know, I would have, sometimes I would spend hours reading articles, listening to podcasts, trying to figure out how do people solve this? How do people approach this? And I could not quite figure out what was the right way for me to to do this. And then I would just journal and yeah, oh, that's that's the way. That's exactly how I'm going to price the community and I'm going to design it. This is what feels authentic. And it's probably it's probably similar to the this idea of balancing diffuse and focused mode of thinking. I think it can be really helpful sometimes to balance that active research, trying to gather as much knowledge and information as possible, but also then taking a step back and mm. go and do your own thinking on your own without distraction through writing and getting to your own conclusions. Mm. So I find journaling incredibly helpful for, for this. And even, even when I'm not writing about the business, I feel like taking that time in the morning to start the day and emptying my mind even if it's only about personal stuff that I'm writing I think it makes me better at managing my business during the day afterwards because I've cleared my mind mm. of any other distractions and I can be laser focused on what needs to be done that day for the business mm. and it's I can't, I, I can't put a name to it. I'm trying to remember who said this but like you need bad writing to get to good writing kind of. So, you know, just jotting stuff down and going through that process is helpful maybe to expose new ideas we never would have thought of if we didn't sit and give ourselves that time. Yeah. Absolutely. And journaling is great for this because, you know, nobody's going to ever read it. It's really just for yourself. So you can write as many silly things as you want and it doesn't have to make sense. It's completely okay. What matters is that it makes you feel good. It clarifies your thinking. And if it takes many pages of nonsense to get there. That's fine. Nobody needs to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did mention free flow journaling, and I, I don't want to make any assumptions of what that actually is. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's just that you have lots of different ways of journaling. Some of them are a little bit more structured. I know that some people use journaling prompts that they go through every day. Um, and so my journaling in the morning is completely free flow basically I just start with I woke up this morning and this is what's on my mind and I've been worried about this and not quite sure how to approach this but I'm very excited about this meeting etc etc so I'll just have this free flow type of, of journaling where I'm not trying to structure it and then once a week I have a more structured way it's kind of half journaling half weekly review which I call plus minus next and I have three columns and the first column, I write everything that went well that week. In the second column, everything that didn't go so well. And in the third column, what I want to focus on the following week. And when filling that template every Sunday, I very often go back through my free flow journaling from the week just to go back and be like, okay, that, that's how I was feeling on Tuesday, but great. I managed to solve that on Friday. So that's okay. Uh, let's make sure to 
action this the week after, etc. So that little bit of structure every Sunday is really good for me to make sure that I don't forget anything important and that I feel ready for the week that's coming afterwards. I like that. Are, is there a time constraint you put on it? Not really for, for daily journaling in the morning. Absolutely not. I write for as long as needed, but I wake up very, very early. So usually that's not a problem. Um, and for Sunday, the plus minus next, I don't have to because it usually takes maybe five or 10 minutes. It's very quick. It's bullet points. I'm not thinking deeply here. I'm collecting data from what happened during the week, just making sure that anything important is in there. So I know what to focus on the week after. And that's it. So it's very, very quick, five, 10 minutes. Mm, okay. I'm kind of curious as we kind of wrap up the conversation, anything on your mind, like when you think about you know, entrepreneurs, you think about folks getting started. Is there any specific topic that's been not keeping you up at night, but you've been thinking more about recently? I just would love to see more people documenting their journey when they get started and sharing it with the world, because I see too many people wait until they get to a certain level of success to start sharing how the sausage is made. And it makes it very scary for people who haven't started yet, because all most of the content that you see online makes it look like you have to be a natural, that it has to be something that comes to you very easily, that some people are just organically good at it and others are not. And I feel like if more people started sharing their journey as soon as they get started from the first blog post, from the first podcast episode, and transparently sharing their challenges, what they're learning, what's exciting, then it would make it less scary for other people. And we would have more people who have the confidence to get started. Yeah, I am I am seeing a little more of people putting that vulnerability out. So hopefully that's a, a trend because I think, yeah, the older generation, you know, my parents' generation, I think it was like, we don't talk about anything, you know, we keep it private, we only show our best self, you know. Don't share your feelings or emotions. So I think we're getting a better a light there. Um, and if you look at like, you know, it is fun looking like a Mr. Beast or something like that, like going back to like his first videos and you can see those. It's just amazing the the growth people have. And you could probably see that from yours, right? From when you were doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, again, they, you need to feel a little bit ashamed of the, the first versions of your work. That means you're progressing. Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, to your point, like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do it for 10 years, go out and experiment, try it a little bit, but sharing it with the world, I think is a good way to actually know how does it feel to us? Cause it, I, I, this is a random thought, but like, I think if you just have it in silence, like if I just record it, oh, I'm going to record some podcast interviews and just keep them alone. I think putting it out, it really does kind of put us on like these, these anxieties, these self-limiting beliefs that we have. And if we can overcome that, it's like, wow, wait a minute. It's not as bad as I thought. I had this idea in my head but it was so made up. It wasn't even, it was BS, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, the only way to know is to just do it and try it and, and see if it works for you or not. Yeah, absolutely. And Laura, this is a lot of fun. Um, okay. So give me all the details. Where can folks sign up for the newsletter? Where can they say hello to you online? What are the best spots? 
Yes. So for the newsletter, just go to naslabs.com slash newsletter. I send it every week and I talk a lot about uh, different, those topics that we just talked about today. Mindful productivity, creativity, how to be ambitious in today's world. And then if you want to connect with me, my handle across every single social media platform is Neuran at N-E-U-R-A-N-N-E. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you joining today. Thanks for having me. This was great. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.